personality of Godhead. But he had no clear idea who God was, so he's understood to be a very pious person. However, it's uh, not surprising that people in this material world do not understand who God is. Even very great persons of this material world, it's difficult for them to understand who God is. Because God, although He's present within this material world, is also beyond it. And there are many great personalities who are far above our plane of existence. So it may be difficult to understand who is actually the greatest. An example may be given that if one is standing on the earth and before him is a great mountain range. And in front of a person are many tall mountains. They're all so high that they're the top of the mountain, the peak, is in the clouds. So we can't see the peak of the mountain and therefore we don't know which one is the tallest. So how can we find out that which is actually the tallest? Different people may have different opinions on which is the tallest. Or someone may think because we see that one mountain has got a bigger base than others, then we presume it goes higher than others, but we can't see it. But it's not necessarily true that the mountain with the greatest base is the tallest. It may be that a, a, a mountain with a very great base, just beyond our vision within the clouds, it forms a plateau. Whereas an, another mountain with a narrower base may go up much higher. In the Bhagavatam it's described that Mount Meru has a relatively narrow base, but its peak is broader than its base. So we can't tell simply by our own judgment which is the tallest mountain. And uh, similarly in understanding who is God, there may be many great personalities, but simply by our mundane judgment we can't understand who is the greatest. According to Shastra, Lord Vishnu is the Supreme Personality of Godhead. But we might not be able to judge that or understand that. Because Lord Vishnu is relatively aloof from the affairs of the material. So just, just like if you see a mountain with a greater base, you may think it must, have a, it must be taller than others. So you may see that Brahma is intimately involved in the creation of this material world. So you may therefore conclude that uh, he is more, he is greater than Lord Vishnu. So this shows how logic can be defective. It would seem that a mountain with the greatest base must be the tallest, but it's not necessarily true. And even though it may be a general case that mountains with broader bases go up higher, it's not necessarily true. So actually the activities of the Supreme Lord beyond this material world are far more important than his activities within this material world. Because we are in this material world, we think that it's very important. The example is often given that this material world is like a prison house. So if you're only in the prison, then you may think, well, the prison, that's the most important place. That is the whole universe. And a prisoner may think the prison governor is the most important person in the world. The prison governor is so powerful that he can arrange for you to get extra butter, or he can arrange for you to be have more punishment, more. He can arrange for you to be beaten. So according to the vision of the prisoner, the prison governor is practically like God. And other people may inform him, actually, he's not God. He's not even a very highly placed officer within the government apparatus. Uh, even if the uh, president of the country happens to visit the prison, you may see the president, the prisoner may see the president, 
But he still says, well, as far as I'm concerned, the prison governor is more important. The president came for 15 minutes, had a look, and went away again. But the prison governor is here all the time. So from the inmate's point of view, the governor is the most important person. But he doesn't realize that he doesn't have to be in prison. He accepts the prison governor as the most important person because he thinks that I'm, my existence is in the prison. But he doesn't realize he has a much, uh, he, he can have a much better existence outside the prison. And then if he goes outside the prison, it doesn't, then the prison governor, whatever he says, has no bearing on his life whatsoever. So in the same way, people may pray to various demigods and they wish to get various benedictions from them. And by following that uh, path of karma, which involves worshipping the demigods, they quickly get results. So people think, this is very good, I worship demigods, and we get some results. But then again in Gita, Krishna says, Those who worship demigods are fools. Because even though you may get a result from them very quickly, that result is temporary. That cannot give us any permanent benefit. So therefore, an intelligent person worships Krishna. By worshipping the demigods and performing pious activities, one may go to the heavenly planets. But he has to fall down from them. One may go to the heavenly planets and enjoy tremendous happiness as we cannot imagine on this planet. When we arrived at Kazan Station this morning, we saw 12 degrees Celsius. No sun, only clouds. So in the heavenly planets there's no 12 degrees Celsius and no clouds like this. Such a nice situation. So many opportunities for Vishal Swarga Very great heavenly happiness. So you can go there, but then when your pious activities are exhausted, we have to come back. But Krishna explains in the next verse of Bhagavad Gita, Ananyas chintiyantu maam yejana paryupasate tesham nityadhyuktanam yogakshemam mahatmaham One who concentrates on me only, Krishna says, without going to various demigods. And then Krishna looks after that devotee in all respects. So here we see that Atriyoni was a great personality. He's not a foolish person. He understood that there is a supreme predominating personality of the universe and he wanted to have such a person as himself. But he didn't realize who that greatest person is. So he made a general prayer. Whoever you are, please come and be, be, like, be like my son. So that is another approach. One may think, well, they're all, all gods are the same. They're all gods. Certainly from our point of view here in this material world, Personalities like Lord Shiva and Lord Brahma are extraordinarily great. They are so so much greater than us, we cannot imagine. We can give another example about seeing the mountains. Even if the clouds clear away, still we may not be able to see the peak because the peak is so high it's beyond our vision. So if the mountains are so high, then we can simply say, oh, they're all very great. So in the same way, from our position, all demigods especially... Brahma, Shiva, and Vishnu are unlimitedly great. They're all 
far beyond us. So from our point of view, they're all, we may consider them all just like supreme. However, that is, after all, our point of view. And we are very limited, tiny little beings. But from the demigod's point of view, Krishna is even far greater than them. Another example, we can imagine the ant's point of view. When the ant sees human beings, he sees they're all extraordinarily huge. They're all so big, the ant can hardly imagine. So, according to the ant, Every human being may be like some kind of God. But from our point of view, we see gradations. I see that some men are very tall, some are shorter, but to the ant, they're all the same. Any human being, even if he's very weak, can easily pick up an ant and crush it. So from the ant's point of view, all human beings are unlimitedly powerful. From his level, every human being is... His, every human being's power far exceeds his power. So as far as an ant is concerned, every human being is the same. Whether they're weak or strong according to human calculation, they're all have sufficient power and much more to crush any single ant. But from the human point of view, we certainly see differences. There's a difference between a ten-year-old boy and the world boxing champion. There's a tremendous difference in strength. But again, from the ant's point of view, he, he cannot differentiate because his own level is so much inferior. So in the same way, from our point of view, the power of the demigods is so great that they, they all seem unlimitedly more powerful than us. However, we should have enough intelligence to understand that our vision or our point of view is not the ultimate truth. This is the great mistake of materialistic philosophers, including, for instance, uh, mundane scientists. They simply presume that their ability to understand is complete. They have enough ability to understand everything. And they presume that uh, their level of understanding is ultimate. They don't consider that in relationship with the universe, we are no more significant than animals. And they don't consider that, uh, anyway, this universe is so insignificant, that there may be uh, existence beyond this universe. Therefore, in Krishna Consciousness, we are advised to see the world, not from our point of view, but from Krishna's point of view. That doesn't mean that we think that we are Krishna. We think that we are Krishna. But rather, we should, if we want to understand the Absolute Truth, then we have to understand the universe from the vantage point of the Absolute Truth. Vantage? Vantage point means uh, position oh, of seeing. Yeah. No, that's common. Yeah. God means He is above everything. Oh. He's also present everywhere. Yeah. So generally, you can get a better... Over, you can get a better overview of everything by seeing from above. To use a very mundane example, if you're watching a sports game, for instance, like football, you can see better what's going on if you're sitting a little bit above rather than at ground level. So God is above everything, so he can see everything very nicely. However, if you're above everything, then you only get two-dimensional dimension, two vision. From above, you can't see clearly building is taller than another or what. If you're high above, you can't see that one building is 20 stories and 10 stories, they look more or less the same height. 
So Krishna's vision, although it is from above and therefore generally better, it doesn't suffer from any defects. Because anyway Krishna is transcendental, he doesn't have mundane vision. But also he's simultaneously above everything and present within everything. God's immanence. It's an important word in Western theology. Do you have that word immanence or mm. similar word? Mm. So God, he not only sees from above, but he sees from inside. But he sees from every angle of vision. Just like if I hold up my finger like this. I'm seeing it from this angle. You are seeing it from this angle. But God's eyes are everywhere. He's seeing it from every angle. And he's seeing it from inside also. Sarvata pani padam tat sarvato kshi shirumukam. The super soul, his hands and his legs are everywhere. His hands, his legs, his eyes, his heads, they're spread everywhere. So God's vision is perfect. Actually, even if you can see things from many angles of vision, still your vision may not be perfect. Because our even though we see, our understanding may be imperfect. But <coughs> Lord Vishnu does not suffer from any defects of, of understanding because his intelligence is perfect. His uh, intelligence is unlimited and is free from the defects of the conditioned soul. Namely, Brahma-Pramad-Pitpadapsa-Karna-Pata he is free from mistakes, illusion, cheating propensity, and a tendency to make mistakes. So even uh, great demigods, they may, by the grace of the Supreme Lord, have similar uh, tremendous intelligence and perceptive abilities. By the grace of the super soul, many demigods are almost as have the same function as the super soul. Not only is Lord Vishnu all pervading, but so are Brahma and Shiva, the demigods presiding over the basic elements of the universe, and the uh, demigods of the ten directions, demigods presiding over the various times of day and the various uh, seasons of the year and other divisions of time. So they are all pervading, but they are all pervading only within each universe. But Lord Vishnu is all-pervading in all universes. And he is supreme. The other demigods have tremendous power, but only because it is given to them by Lord Vishnu. This we understand from Shastra. There is no other way to understand it. Certainly not by logic, nor by guesswork. The Lord reveals himself to those who are sincere and serious to understand him. So Atsubhuti had a sincere desire that the Lord be his son. At that time he wasn't uh, aware of the clear identity of who the Supreme Lord was. So Vishnu, Brahma and Shiva together appeared before him and declared themselves to be three manifestations of the same person. Also true, it is not untrue, although it is not the highest truth. The highest truth is that Vishnu alone is supreme. But on the material platform of understanding, uh, in which the vast greatness on the material platform of understanding, in which the uh, vast greatness of Vishnu, even about Brahma and Shiva, is not perceived, then Vishnu, Brahma and Shiva are, uh, to all intents and purposes, for the conditioned souls equal. They presented themselves as Tastaratrimuni. But we should understand that certainly Vishnu is supreme. We respect Brahma and Shiva and other demigods as powerful uh, emissaries of the Supreme within this universe. But we understand clearly that above all is Lord Vishnu, whose original form is Krishna. Therefore we are interested in Krishna consciousness. 
We don't say Krishna, Brahma and Shiva consciousness. We say only Krishna consciousness. So if we're actually Krishna conscious, then suddenly we'll also be conscious of Brahma and Shiva. But we'll be conscious of them as great, powerful representatives of the Supreme but not equal to him in all this And we will suddenly respect such demigods, but we do not make them the ultimate object of our worship as Krishna. So these points should be understood clearly. I hope you're understanding them clearly. I hope you're all studying Prabhupada's books. Are you all studying Prabhupada's books? Yes. You're all reading? Yes. You're doing this Bhakti Shastri course? Okay. All right, very good. Hare Krishna. Any question? No question. It is, you mentioned that Atrimuni is a great sage, mm-hmm. a very intelligent personality. And he studied Vedic scriptures, he studied Shastra. Mm-hmm. But according to Shastra, Vishnu is the supreme personality of God. Mm-hmm. So how is that he didn't understand that Vishnu is the supreme? You're very, un- you're very fortunate to understand that. We because you're fortunate to come in the Sampradaya which clearly presents this knowledge. Otherwise, Krishna is Vedishu Durlabham. Difficult to understand simply by studying the Vedas. But Krishna is Adurlabham Atma Bhakta. He's very easy to understand for those who are fully devoted to Him. Well, easy to so definitely it seems very easy to, us to understand this because we've been presented the Vedic scriptures by the great pure devotee, Vishuddha Prabhupada. Although otherwise, uh, many people are bewildered about the message of the Vedas. Because in the Vedas there are many apparently contradictory statements. In the beginning you spoke about life in heavenly planets. Can a devotee who gets to heavenly planets continue his devotional service there? Devotional service can be performed in any situation. It is a spiritual activity. It is not, uh, not inhibited by any material circumstance. However, as long as we are materially influenced, then uh, our spiritual practices may be influenced by material circumstances. So generally, uh, heavenly planets are not recommended as a good place for practicing Krishna consciousness. Because there's so much sense enjoyment, it simply bewilders those who are there. So we should be grateful that we're in this miserable earth planet. If we were in the heavenly planets, then it's, it's too much enjoyment. Something it's difficult to focus on Krishna. Of course, there is no enjoyment in this material world, actual enjoyment. But the illusion of enjoyment is very strong there. Similarly, in the hellish planets, there's so much suffering, it's difficult to think of. So on this earth planet, there's also many suffering. But there's not so much suffering that we can't think that, that it totally inhibits our spiritual life. And there's not so much enjoyment that it totally diverts us. So the earth planet... Uh, that is considered the best for practicing spiritual knowledge. Of course, if you want to go to the heavenly planets, you can, but we don't recommend it. What was Krishna ed- Krishna's attitude towards wars? And what did he do in these circumstances? Well, war is sometimes required. Not always. It's just like saying, well, what do you think about cutting someone with a knife so that blood comes out? What do you think? Is it good or not? Depends mm-hmm. upon the situation. Exactly. No. If a, if a murderer comes to kill you out of malice or madness, that is not good. But you yourself, if you have a big boil, you may go to the doctor and say, please cut this. Either way, it's suffering and painful, but sometimes it's required and beneficial. So in the same way with war, it's always suffering, full of suffering and pain, 
but sometimes it may be required to remove bad elements in society. So like that. Uh, the question concerns uh, progress in spiritual life. Uh, elevation from one level to the next level of, of advancement. Uh, does it always connected is it always connected with some suffering with some pain well as long as we're in this material world there's always suffering and pain so as long as we're connected with this material world there's, there's some suffering and pain but we don't find for instance in the Bhaktivedanta Sindhu that it says that to make spiritual advancement you should beat yourself with sticks there is such a concept in some religious practices in Christianity there there, there There has been the idea, I don't think in modern Christianity, but previously, the, that they call it to mortify the body, or to, live, to deliberately make pain for the body. Somehow or other that's supposed to help you become a better Christian. Shortly before I joined this movement, I was staying for some time in a monastery, a Christian monastery in Ireland. I didn't, not as a member, but as a kind of outside guest. So they were vegetarian. Traditionally they'd been complete vegetarians. But recently they'd introduced that if they got sick, they could eat eggs or maybe fish also. So I asked one of them, why are you vegetarians then if you can break the rule? He said the idea is to mortify the body. In other words, we'd like to eat meat, but we're not eating meat because we're deliberately giving ourselves some suffering. Similarly, that thing about beating yourself with sticks in... Uh, In, in one of the branches of Islam they have a festival every year in which they, they beat themselves with sticks <laughs> which one is it? Shia or Sumer? so we don't have any concept in Christian consciousness austerity is required but uh, only in as much as that facilitates our practices of Christian consciousness advancement in Christian consciousness depends on Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Svanam, Pada, Sevanam, Archanam, Ramanam, Dasa. These are the processes of advancement. And within those practices of Krishna some austerity is required. Just like rising early in the morning may be considered to be ascesis. But simply to rise early in the morning doesn't make one spiritually advanced. The idea is that we should rise early in the morning and chant Hare Krishna. Many people rise early in the morning and milk their cows, but that doesn't make them spiritually advanced. So Krishna consciousness is a joyful process. And uh, Krishna may send some suffering to help us remember that actually we're supposed to surrender to Krishna. But the idea is that in the midst of suffering we're supposed to remember Krishna. And then the suffering actually doesn't be, it's not suffering anymore. God doesn't want us to suffer. You know, if we if we deliberately uh, make, our, make our putting ourselves in a painful position, then God will be pleased. That if if I beat myself with sticks, then God will be pleased. Well, that's uh, in Bhagavad Gita, Krishna. What is that? Kashyanta Sharira's come. That persons who uh, un undertake unnecessary austerities and deliberately put their body into suffering. That's actually austerity, that's actually demonic. So chant Hare Krishna and be happy. And there may be so many horrible things in this material world. Actually there are so many horrible things, especially in the modern age. Someone is coming and telling me that their son has committed some murder. Someone else is telling me their daughter has been raped. Don't try and increase your suffering unnecessarily and artificially. It will come anyway of its own accord. Without trying, un unhappiness comes. 
We don't have to try for it. It will come automatically. As long as we have material bodies, we'll have definitely some kind of material happiness will come and suffering also. Sukha and Duk, they come automatically without trying. Saratra Labyate Daiva, Yata Dukam Ayatmatana. So without trying by the by the arrangement of providence they come. So a devotee is advised, Sukhe, Dukhe, Same, one should be equipoised in happiness, material happiness and distress. Sukhe Dukhe Samakritva Labha Labha Jaya Jayo Tato Yukhaska Yukhaya Naivam Pabha Mabhavchisi In happiness and distress, loss or gain, we should act as we are constrained to act according to our duty. In this way, we will not, uh, not contact any sin. That's another question. Ten years ago, she wrote some poem in which there are such lines as if it, if it were only possible to be dead for a time and to be free as a bird to fly, something, something like this. So is it possible to develop such, such consciousness of being dead for a while or such, uh, such existence? No, the soul is by nature ever active. The desire to be dead is born out of frustration. Perceiving this material world as miserable, we may desire to be to no longer exist within it. But if your life was always happy with singing and dancing and love with the most with wonderful people, then you wouldn't want to have non-existence. So in Krishna consciousness, our existence is singing and dancing and uh, love. This, the liberated position in Krishna consciousness is that of dancing in the spiritual world of Krishna. So we don't want to be dead or we don't want to be lifeless. If we have such a joyful existence, then we don't want to give it up. That is even better than flying like a bird. Flying like a bird means you want to get away from all the problems here, all the problems caused by uh, social interaction. But in the spiritual world, there's social interaction, but no problems, only ecstasy. So better go to Krishna. In the spiritual world, everything everyone says is singing and poetry, but no expression of frustration, only bliss. So better go to Krishna. And our process to go to Krishna is also by reciting poetry. The Hare Krishna mantra is only poetry. There are so many beautiful songs glorifying Krishna. This whole Srimad Bhagavatam is poetry. No frustration. Please don't be frustrated. Of course, to be frustrated with material existence, that is a sign of intelligence. But we should uh, understand that beyond frustration, there is our actual happy life. It is not our natural position to be frustrated. And it is not natural either to wish to be dead. It is natural uh, to love. In this material world, our love has been frustrated again and again. But in Krishna consciousness, there is no frustration. Okay, one more question. And uh, where he wrote uh, that we should avoid kindliness in our devotional service. Well, I, this sentence. I think either the book, there was a wrong translation, or 
It was under some in some particular context. Otherwise, it was uh, presented out of context. There must oh. be some particular context in which oh. this is stated, because Krishna consciousness is meant to make the heart soft, not hard. Now I've been chanting Hare Krishna. I chanted 16 rounds, so now I'll punch someone in the face. It doesn't make any sense. Why did you do that? Well, I read it in the book. <laughs> you see? Let's follow what it said in the book. Here's another one. <laughs> it may have said that we should avoid mundane compassion, that we should be compassionate on the spiritual plane. We should uh, perceive the sufferings of others, not be, uh, not be cold-hearted. We should understand that ultimately people can only be helped by Krishna consciousness. If we try to get involved in helping people on the mundane platform, we ourselves become materially entangled. We may do to a certain extent, but we shouldn't become entangled and we shouldn't become dragged into material consciousness. But again, I can't really comment without seeing what was written. I mean, I read that book quite a few years ago, and I don't remember reading that. I'm sure if it had said it exactly like that, I would have noticed it, and many others would have noticed it also. So I, I think that uh, it's either a translator's mistake or maybe you've misunderstood the context or whatever it is. Mistakes can be made in uh, translation and transcription. Yesterday I was, I was reading uh, commentaries on Srimad Bhagavatam and in which Jiva Goswami says that actually this statement is not, it, it says it's made by Bhadra but actually it's made by Mitra Vinda. These are different queens of Krishna. If this Krishna. was not true, it would contradict the previous narrations of the Bhagavatam. So he says, this is a scribe's mistake. In other words, the Bhagavatam, these books used to be written out by hand. And sometimes in writing, the, the professional writers, they would make a mistake. That's why we have different, that's one reason why we have different versions of ancient books. So similarly in translation, mistakes may be made. It may not be possible to completely express something in one language. Some things cannot be completely expressed in another language. Prabhupada has written that the word rasa, which is such an important word in our Vaishnava theology, he writes that this word cannot actually be properly translated in English. All right, I'm going to finish there. Hare Krishna. Shri Prabhupada ki jai. Shri Bhakti Matam ki jai. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.